0: Sox fans, here are the
1: Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone. The Bastards are back for this Monday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a four-game set against the Kansas City Royals. Losing the series three games to one. They are currently still in last place in the American League East. Two games under 500 and five games back from the third wildcard spot. Quick disclaimer, as always for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of Windham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at... At Cushman MLB. You can find the podcast account at bastards underscore Boston. Joining us tonight from the city of Canton, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. Jason?
0: Yeah, I wish I could say I'm doing well and that you know had a fun weekend watching Red Sox baseball, but I really honestly didn't. Um I think the the shine of the oh, we're a better team after the trade deadline. I think that's officially worn off. Um, You go into Kansas City, it's a thousand degrees in Kansas City right now. So, you know, not a pleasant experience right off the bat, but then you lose three out of four to a team that literally isn't even trying. And they've just called up their young kids and they're just kind of mailing it in and you lost three out of four to that team. So that's where we're at. Um, I thought for a brief second that after the trade deadline, maybe the team would feel a little relieved and, you know, we might have a little bit of a resurgence in the second half. Um, I don't feel that way anymore. So not, not doing
1: great. Where can they find you on Twitter, Jason?
0: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at color of the Iris.
1: Also joining us tonight from the city of Providence, Rhode Island. Not wearing a shirt, Charlie Smith.
2: I'm here, I'm alive. Uh, unlike the Red Sox, that just seemed completely done. Uh, it's been uh brutal, but similar to what Jason said, that 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 feeling of oh, maybe we could do this, like maybe we can actually get this done after that Houston series. That, that's gone. I mean, when one player on a team that's 22 games under 500, 21 games out under 500 now. Uh, scores more runs for, you know, knocks in more runs than you do as a whole team. Yeah, that's not good. And Kansas City's playing for nothing. And we just got slapped three times out of four. So,
1: not fun. So, Kansas City, just looking at the other teams right now. Well, the Nationals are doing way worse, but they're... They're only three wins ahead of the second-to-worst team in the league. And we're coming off a pretty good week. As you guys said, beat the Astros for the second time this year. You add Tommy Pham. You add Eric Hosmer. You subtract Jackie Bradley, which we haven't really covered yet because that happened after the recording uh, of the last two shows, um, and so there's a lot to be excited about. You got Nathan Avoldi, Cutter Crawford, Nick Pavetta, who who was kind of rebounding, pitching in in this cupcake series that it should have been, and you only come up with one win, and ironically. It wasn't in any of those games. It was the Winkowski game. Not that he's been terrible in his last few starts, but everything was uh, everything was lined up. And we're not really going to get into Whitlock. He's not really on the docket, but he coughs up game three, gives up the walk-off. And I was thinking before the walk-off happened, I'm like, man, we can just, we can just, Win this game, we're going to be up two to one on the series. Then we got our ace Cutter Crawford going, and I'm not really being facetious. I mean, Crawford coming into the series probably your best pitcher, the best pitcher the Red Sox had in the month of July. Let's put it that way. And Whitlock blows the game now, we're down two to one, and then today happens. So, um, frustrating series we're we're 5 games back as i said in the intro if we're 7 games back a week from now that's that's about it right i mean that's that's hard to come back from you you need four teams in front of you to just fall on their faces and that typically won't happen and i don't have the wild card standings up but who's to say maybe cleveland gets hot or though i think they might be ahead of us actually Um, but still some other team behind us can get hot and go on the run that we need to go on. And, uh, it's just so frustrating. So we lost the series. It's the weekend shit list for, I don't know how many weeks in a row now on the weekend show. So we'll get into that. It's just the top three this week. We'll start in the three spot that happens to be my guy. Nathan Avaldi was not his worst outing of the season by a long shot, but he wasn't super sharp fastball. I think topped out at about 93 he's laboring. And I think with the current stuff that he has right now, it's only going to be a couple more starts before the league kind of figures it out. And then they start sitting on him. And we think he's prone to home runs right now. It's they're going to be flying out of the park on him. By the time we get to September and he's a guy we have to rely on. Like there's no path to the postseason with a bad Nathan Avaldi. And I know we're getting walking back. We got a couple other guys pitching pretty well, but it wasn't. A great performance. Melendez, their phenom catcher. Andrew talked about maybe giving up a super package for him last winter. Um, didn't happen. And when I say super package, he was willing to put Casas in it, Blaze Jordan, all these guys that kind of make me uncomfortable. But uh, the kid on the very first pitch of the game, uh, you know, took Cavaldi deep and, and got them on one to nothing then you had that Ispel kid who I'm not really familiar with but he soloed later on and it just it was not a good outing for avoldi you know right from the beginning you know he you know there was traffic on the bases and and he did he did get a couple of uh, excuse me seven strikeouts in the game so his pitching line doesn't look terrible but just not sharp not sharp throughout the start, and well disappointed i miss I missed the Ivaldi starts where you felt great going into them, because right now, I'm a little apprehensive. Jason.
0: Yeah, so before the deadline, I looked at Nathan Ivaldi as a guy that it, he was sort of last on my list of guys I wanted to be dealt. At the deadline, I, I actually was sort of coming around to the idea of maybe you hang on to him. Maybe he figures it out in the second half and you give him the qualifying offer in the offseason. Right. Because, I, you know, and the points that I made were just you don't have a lot of pitching depth. You know, your your best pitching prospect, Brian Bayo is getting smacked around at the major league level, may not be ready yet. So why not? Why not just keep Evaldi around for the qualifying offer? I'm starting to think that he's not even worth that anymore. And that maybe he's just a guy that you just let him walk at the end of the year. And I also am starting to think that maybe Haim tried to trade Nathan Nivaldi at the deadline and other teams just sort of went, nah, we're good. The the velocity is down. He's had a lot of mileage on his arm. um, Doesn't typically stay healthy. So no, we're okay. We're not going to give you even a top 20 prospect for Nathan Ivaldi. And maybe that's why he's still here. Um, he's absolutely just, he's kind of killing you right now. And like you said, Terry, it's like Nathan Ivaldi was a guy that in the past you went into his starts going, okay, even if we've lost three, four in a row, Ivaldi's on the mound. We feel pretty good. Generally. Like we feel like he's going to get us back on track and, He's going to give us a good quality start and he'll give us the best chance to get, you know, right back in it. These days, it's not feeling that way. Again, it just between the velocity and between the fact that he's now given up 20 home runs on the season. And that's 20 home runs with him missing time on the IL. I mean, he's he's going to blow past his career high in terms of home runs allowed. His highest was 23. So he's going to blow past that at this rate. Which means that he's not fooling anybody. The fastball's not getting by hitters. The the other pitches he has, the breaking balls and everything, like they're not doing the job. So he's easy to figure out, and he's just not as valuable anymore. So I'm at the point now where I don't feel confident when Evaldi's on the mound. I feel like he's due to give up a big blast at some point. He's not going to miss a ton of at bats. And maybe he's just a guy that at the end of the season, you go, you know what? You gave us a lot. Thanks for your time, but we're good. He's not even QO worthy at this point because that number is going to be around 18, 19 million. I'm not giving 18 or 19 million to this guy right now. Not the way he's pitching. No way. So it sucks to see it, but I think we've seen sort of Nathan avaldi run his course
2: here. It'd be hard to. Um, Jason brought up a lot of really really good points. You know, we thought that he was going to go, but uh, Heim Bloom had also mentioned that um, he was not going to just settle for any picks. I'm sure that teams came calling for Evaldi, but like Jason mentioned, the the picks that were going to be coming back to Boston were not of value, and were not something that Heim Bloom felt were of of substance to put it, uh, diplomatically, shall we say he had a very terrible month of July. He had a fantastic two appearances in June. He didn't allow a run when he came back in August and pitched the way he did against Houston. I think all of us said he's gone that sold it. He's going to be not, he's, he's going to be playing in, in a different team or in a different city from now on. And then the second came and went and he was still there. The issue with uh, the only issue, and it's not even so much an issue as it is just like a point to bring up. While you may not give Nathan Avaldi the qualifying offer, how much money is he going to be getting next year? Will another team give him three years, 45, three years, 42? Yeah, there's going to be plenty that do that. Does he want to pitch there, though? Or does he enjoy his time in Boston? Nate Avaldi has never spent this much time with a ball club. He spent a couple years in Miami, uh, I think it was two, three years in Miami, two in, in New York, a short stint with the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, and he started with the Dodgers way back in the day, and he's been here for the last four or five years. I think he loves pitching in Boston. Unfortunately, it's just been unfriendly because of the mileage, as Jason had already mentioned, the, the injury history. It's just something that we're going to have to monitor moving forward. Who else do you have pitching for your team next year? Chris Sale, assuming he's healthy. Nick Pavetta, it, it's like Frank and Pavetta. We don't know if it's going to be good or bad Pavetta. Cutter Crawford will probably be here. Winkowski will be here. We still don't know what's going to be happening with Paxton, Waka, a bunch of these other guys that we had uh, earlier on this year and and have signed for a year plus a team option or mutual option, something like that. So it's uh, – it's going to be something to monitor. I'm hoping that he has a fantastic month of September to justify giving him the qualifying offer. At least that way, we don't completely send a message of like, thanks, but no thanks. Like we have done with so many other players, especially with all of the, the rumors and speculations with players not wanting to come to Boston or players not being valued when they come to Boston. That would send a really bad message to a starting pitcher. And for other pitchers that are looking for a potential home, I don't know if I want to go to Boston. They don't value pitching there. They don't value talent there. So it's some it's something to be mindful of for sure.
1: Nathan Avaldi said on July 29th, I want to be a part of this organization forever. That's what he said. Um I think the bullet that got dodged here not that he was necessarily a high priority was that Hein bloom didn't give him what Charlie would refer to as a thank you contract last spring, you know, an extension for a few more years, probably around the 17, $18 million he's getting because that would, would have been probably almost instant remorse, like to the level of a Matt Barnes deal. Just right into the toilet. I thought when Dave Dombrowski gave him the four-year deal that he's on right now, I thought four years was too much. I thought it was way too much. And he was said to have had a lot of suitors. So the Red Sox had to go to four years to get him. And it hasn't been super painful, but it hasn't been great. And... I kind of hope we don't give him that qualifying offer. <laughs> I, I just, you just hope that bloom already has a plan for next year as, as far as what, what starting pitching on this team is going to look like, but we'll see. Jason number two on the shit list. Yeah,
0: number two, uh, without a doubt, goes to Darwinson Hernandez. Um, What an awful weekend this kid had. Uh, Two innings pitched, nine earned runs, six walks. He looks like a complete mess. And I don't know if this is just Darwinson kind of, you know, coming back to earth and being who Darwinson really is or if they screwed him up in Worcester because they tried to stretch him out as a starter. He had 14 games in Worcester, seven of them. He did as a starter. The ERA was still near five. Um, he still had 18 walks and 25 innings pitched. Like he, he doesn't look like a starter at all. And, and when, when we reve- when we found out that he was being stretched out as a starter, I think we all kind of, with a head tilt kind of went really darwinson because this guy after one inning looks like completely gassed and now you're going to stretch him out into a starter um so i don't know if this is like a developmental thing where they screwed him up by trying to stretch him out too much and messed with his mechanics that way but he can't find the plates i mean it's unbelievable this guy first of all he doesn't have a huge pitch arsenal to begin with he's basically three pitches that's it And he relies mostly on his fastball and he can't locate it. He's just all over the place and clearly gets rattled very easily. We saw that this weekend. You know, he obviously had a couple of bad outings and just completely lost his mind. And it would be one thing if this guy was like, you know, in his late 20s or if he was a veteran and they just sort of were taking a flyer on him and you go, okay, whatever. He doesn't have anything left. Darwinson's 25, like he's young. He he should be a guy that you can look at and say, okay, he can be part of our bullpen going forward. He's a guy that we he's a young, hard throwing left hander that we can build around. And instead, he looks like the complete opposite. He looks like a guy that you've got to just get rid of him or bury him down in AAA until I don't know. He wakes up one day and knows how to locate the strike zone, but it's just sad that like, this is the state of your pitching program. You have a, again, a young hard throwing left-hander and, you know, at times the last two years, he looked pretty good. You know, he was inconsistent at times, but there were times where he was, he could strike out the side, you know, he had good stuff and looked like a, a capable lefty coming out of your bullpen late in games. Now, he looks like he doesn't belong in the big leagues. So to me, it's as much as we can crap on Darwinson for his awful weekend, to me, this is more about the Red Sox pitching program. What are you doing to these kids when they go down to Worcester to either stretch them out or develop their stuff or whatever? Because Darwinson to me was a guy who had good stuff and had a really good future ahead of him. And now three years into the Red Sox pitching program, he looks like, He can't pitch at all. So it's more of an indictment on your pitching program. It doesn't seem to be very good at all. And once again, here's another young arm in your system that looks like he's going to be completely useless. And that's a real bad sign for your future.
2: Yeah, uh, it's three straight starts of just Picasso on Steroids. It was terrible to watch him pitch for the third straight time, allowing four or five runs. He just doesn't have it. Seven strikes out of twenty-three today. Uh earlier in the series, had twenty-seven out of forty-three, so a little bit more than half. But his ERA has very quickly shot up to twenty-two plus. Last year, Darwin's ended allowed 15 earned runs in 40 innings. So far, this year, Darwinson has allowed fourteen earned runs in five and two thirds. If that doesn't terrify you, I don't know what you're doing and This is somebody who, two years ago, we were all like, "Yeah, we'd really like to see Darwinson be the closer. Holy crap, Can you imagine how many games we would have blown if we let Darwinson close out games for the Red Sox? A six run lead would have made it interesting. That's pathetic that's awful so I think the experimentation where we're trying to make starters or relievers into starters, we just haven't learned. It's really unfortunate. We just haven't learned our lesson. It didn't work with Daniel Bard. It's, it's not going to work with other players either. This is another example of someone who just got completely shot, and in seven years when he's pitching for the, who knows, Cincinnati Reds and throwing like a role as Chapman did seven years ago for the Reds, we're going to be like, oh, how come he didn't do that for us? Oh, well, that's right, because we messed up and we tried to make him a starter idiots so it's really sad to see how far the star has fallen for this guy uh he's 25 jason already said it but it just it's not there it's not there right now and i i'm beginning to think you know fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me do we give him another chance next year to see if he can figure it out he's trying to be so damn perfect He's striking out more than 1 per inning. He's walking more than 1 per inning. He's averaging almost 3 runs per inning. Like it's just I can't I can't make an excuse anymore for him. It's it's sad. It's nothing short of just sad because there were s- such high hopes for this young man and it just has dwindled away. And I I don't want to say that sending him off and Another team will figure it out in four or five years, but that's kind of what our track record is. Players don't succeed in Boston. They go to a different team. Four or five years later, they become gold. And then they get two-year deals at 37, 38 years old. So we did something wrong again, and we just stupidly and sadly have not learned from our mistakes.
1: I think the jury is still out on the current – program under Dave Bush but I do think under Bush it, it's at least better than the Dombrowski era and Darwin's end came up on, under the Dombrowski era and now he's you know here in the Bush era <laughs> and this is Dave Bush like I said uh not the you know the political bushes but but having said that he's gotten worse when the program has at least improved a little bit. So I think the the problem with Darwin's in here is he needs a sports psychologist or something. It's in his head. For the most part, it's in his head. When he can't locate a baseball to save his life, it's in his head. You look at some of his career numbers here. He has an average walk, per nine. this is his career 7.4 walks per nine innings. that's that's brutal. that's like what are you still doing here in the, in his fourth season? his whip career number is 1.67 that's high. that's way up there. As of today, I'm on baseball reference, and actually the, those, those numbers are probably higher counting his four walks today, so they're probably even a little bit higher than that. But as of uh, after today's start, he's actually going to have more walks than strikeouts. I'm done with Darwin's in, and nobody hyped him more than I did a couple winters ago as someone who could be the closer of the future. He was. He didn't work out as a starter, and that and that he started getting exposed in double A. And I still thought, well, geez, just if they can just get him down to one inning, narrow it down to just a couple of pitches that he can definitely throw, the dude's still going to be a stud reliever, and he's the last guy you want to see. He's the last guy you want to see. I'm. if I have any remorse about the deadline, it's probably getting rid of Deekman, because we didn't even. I I get that they wanted to get out of his deal for next year, which was worth four million, but we didn't get under the luxury tax anyway. We're still over it, so why not just keep him? I, you got guys in the series who pitched pretty well, Ryan Brazier, uh, Hirokazu Salomora. Both had good series, but you know what? Those two are going to be getting shelled when we get back to the divisional series. Those guys are just going to get wiped out. For whatever reason, they can handle teams outside of the division. But we're going to miss Diekman, I think, because he's a little bit higher on my trust tree than a couple of those guys. And hopefully, no news has come out about Darwin's but... Hopefully he's at least optioned, but you know by the time the Atlanta series starts, we got a funky week ahead. We got a two game set against the Braves, and then a one game set against uh, the Orioles. I don't know why I called it a set; just a one game standalone. So the midweek show is going to be interesting because I'm going to combine those. But I'm done with Darwinson; just absolutely terrible and I hope he either spends the rest of his career in A and spends zero time on the 2023 roster. Charlie?
2: So uh, I don't want you to take the full uh, smutz sandwich here. I also was really, really high on Darwinson. I really did want him to be that closer, and I think all three of us, and Job as well, I don't remember if Andrew said it, but we all said Matt Barnes is going to be the closer. It's his job to lose and he's lost it. You know, he's lost it. it, it there's, there's no question. Although I'm not going to be a fool and say Matt Barnes is back because he had a clean inning uh, in this series. I don't know if I'm completely done with Darwinson, And the reason for that be- being is Darwinson hasn't even hit arbitration eligibility yet. He doesn't hit arbitration until next year. So even if you do waste a year or two away and he's, good at 27 28 when he's arb three you can then flip him if he's good at that point if not you lose nothing you lose nothing at least he's familiar with the system if you can just get him to stop throwing so many pitches I don't think he's a complete like hack job I think he can with the right mindset you mentioned a sports psychologist something to get him back in the zone I think he could be good Maybe not great, but at least adequate. Because right now we're not even getting that.
1: Well, all right, Charlie. Uh, let's get to the number one spot on the shit list. I think we know who it is, but tell us anyway.
2: Yeah. So this one isn't. It's not hard. It's it's not Alex Cora. It's uh, it's not Heim Bloom, even though he didn't really help us out. It's a uh, center fielder who just is not making friends even in other stadiums, and that's uh, Jaron Duran. Jaron Duran in this series went two for 11, had a couple of RBIs in the series, a couple of walks. Surprising fun thing about Duran in this series, he played the role of Mr. Verdugo with no strikeouts. That was the only impressive feat about Duran in the series. Why was that overshadowed? For any Red Sox fans that lasted past the third, fourth inning and happened to watch Jaron Duran in center field, it brought back that fun deja vu moment from the Toronto series where Jaron Duran is just sticking his hands up. Oh, wait, I have... Oh, no, I don't. Lost another ball in the sun, misplayed another ball off the wall, which I don't necessarily blame him for, but I think had he been a little bit... Had he trusted himself a little bit more, I think he would have made a really, really nice catch and I don't think we'd be on him as much about that missed ball. I think we'd still be on him, but not as much. And then jawing and, and, and going back and forth at, with fans at Kaufman Stadium, who apparently were throwing bottle caps and a bunch of other random things. Like, why you're throwing bottle caps, I don't understand. Like, you must be really blitzed in Kansas City. I get it. But, like, I just don't get it. And, and I don't want to go sink so low as to say that Kansas City fans are garbage, but that's not a cool look. But Jaron Duran, yet again, has just fallen so quickly down the totem pole. Was the leadoff hitter, and then went from leadoff to ninth. At this point, you have to ask yourself, if you're Alex Cora, how much more leash does this one player have? Because he's not adding any benefits to your your outfield. He's just not there. Question is, would you rather see him or Jackie Bradley Jr. in the outfield? Jackie Bradley Jr. is not going to drop that ball. He's just not going to make that mistake. He's also catching that ball in deep center field. He's going to make a really nice grab right on that wall, and he's just going to throw it in like, yep, like a regular pop fly, like he just had it. And I get it. Jaron Duran is young. But Jesus, good God, I am so sick and tired of making it look like Jaron Duran shouldn't even be past double A. You cannot be a major leaguer and lose balls in the sun on a quasi-regular basis. That's the second time in less than a month. The second time in two and a half weeks. I'm sorry, you need to get better, or you're not going to be here,
1: Jason.
0: Yeah, so this is um, this is a tough one for me, and and this is probably the only time this will happen. So savor it while it lasts. But this is me giving a massive Mia Copa to Jackie Bradley Jr. and the Jackie Bradley Jr. fan club. Because I, look, when he was released, when he was DFA'd, I celebrated. I I cracked a beer open. I was dancing around my house. I was so happy that the Jackie Bradley Jr. era was finally over. And then I watched Jaron Duran this weekend. Particularly, I watch him today. And I watch him drop fly balls and jaw jack with, you know, Random Kansas City fans in center field, you know, just doing whatever whatever he's doing. And it's just at the very least, Jackie Bradley Jr. is a professional and he's mature. Can he hit? No, of course not. He stinks. But Jared Duran's not hitting anymore either. So who cares? At least like Charlie said, at least Jackie Bradley can catch a fly ball and can make a couple of plays out in the outfield. Jaron Duran is useless in the outfield. He can't throw, he can't catch. And he's clearly just an emotional basket case as well. So Duran is a tough case because everyone says, oh, just send him down, send him down AAA, you know, whatever, and get rid of him. Okay, if you send him down in AAA, you know what's going to happen? He's going to rake because he he can hit at the AAA level. He's Every time they sent him down, He absolutely dominates in Worcester. And then everyone says, oh, why is he still down there? Call him back up again. Because the alternative right now is Jalen Davis playing center field for you. Now, can Jalen Davis catch fly balls? Probably. So that's a good start. That's a good start for a Red Sox center fielder. They can catch the ball. That's good. Um, But he can't hit. He absolutely can't hit. And it's just Duran is one of these guys. He's a 4A player. He'll dominate AAA, but then he'll come up to the big leagues and he'll get exposed and he'll run into situations like he did this weekend where the game overwhelms him and he lets the fans get to him and he lets pressure get to him or whatever it is. That kid is clearly so far inside his own head that maybe him and Darmerson both need to go see the same sports psychologist. Like I'm only half joking. Like, honestly, maybe that's what they need. Because it feels like a lot of players on this team, like mentally, they're just not where they need to be. And that's what you saw out of Jaron Duran this weekend. He was mentally not there. He, whether he was checked out or he was just, I don't know, lost in his own world, I don't know what it is. But he's got ability. We know that. He's got lightning speed, and he has shown that he can hit. The, the defense is a huge concern. And he, he needs to absolutely work on that if he wants to be a big league outfielder. But the fact that this is what you've got in center field every day is embarrassing. It's embarrassing for this organization. So, um, again, I you know, I'm certainly never going to be a Jackie Bradley fan, but it's hard for me to say, but it is true, I did miss him this weekend because at least he would have played competent – outfield baseball out there and Sharon Durant can't do that for you right now.
1: Nelson Cruz famously blew a world series for the Texas Rangers on an outfield blunder in right field. But 11 years later, he's still here because he can hit JD Martinez is an elite hitter for the Boston Red Sox. And Quietly you know, putting forth a, a borderline Hall of Fame career. And he's still around, even though he's a terrible outfielder, he's around because he's a good hitter. Jaron Duran is not a good hitter. And if you got a bad glove, there's not there's not gonna be many jobs for you in major league baseball. There's literally no upside. So he needs to figure it out. I am not, I'm closing the book on Darwin's in. Like, that's just where I stand. I'm not doing that with Jaron Duran quite yet. I would recommend maybe moving him back to a corner position, but that's not ideal, at least at home, because right field is huge. He's got no arm. Tommy Pham is a corner outfielder. You can't you can't force him into center and make it work. That's not going to be successful either. It's frustrating. It's absolutely frustrating to watch him struggle as bad as he does out there. And it was also a little unsettling to see him getting into it with the fans. You know, you, you, you can't be, you can't be weak if you're going to play for the Boston Red Sox. Pretty soon it'll be. I mean, how it probably would have been worse, wouldn't it have been if today's game was at Fenway and and he had those blunders? Wouldn't it have been? Wouldn't it have been our own fans just giving it to him and wearing him out? It would have been way worse. And I don't know that he can handle it. And I tweeted out after the second or third one that he botched. I said, Alex Cora should have pulled him from the game right away and sent Jalen Davis out there or Rob Ruff Snyder. I still keep forgetting to check to see if he's on the injured list. But anyone that was capable of going out there and and playing the outfield, I would have pulled him. And I would have sent a message. Alex Cora babies the entire ball club except for Eduardo Rodriguez who's not here anymore. For some reason Eddie Rodriguez was his punching bag, but and then what do you see in the dugout like an inning later you see Alex Cora literally rubbing his hand on on Duran's back. I don't know if it had to do with the blunders or perhaps he was trying to tell him not to let the fans get to him. But I just don't like it. I think you got to be tough. Even Francona was kind of tough on these guys when when they weren't when they weren't playing well. Alex Cora is just the complete opposite. He's like he he's almost like Barney the purple dinosaur, and Barney's the the daycare guy. That's what Alex Cora is. At, at least uh, may, maybe stuff goes on in the clubhouse that we're not aware of, but I doubt it. We'll see, but I do. I still do not miss Jackie Bradley. <laughs> I'm just. I was as happy as anyone that he uh, got released, and I'm quite frankly, I'm kind of still surprised it was him that was the odd man out. You got so many lefties. Hosmer's a lefty, so perhaps that's what you know factored into it. But any more thoughts on Duran? Yeah, just uh,
0: like when you're talking about Cora kind of consoling him an inning later, that's the kind of thing that I don't mind seeing if you're in first place or you're at least in a better playoff spot and you go, okay, you know, now's not the time to crack down on a young kid. Like, let's keep the clubhouse happy and, you know, because we're, we're having a good season and let's just focus on the playoffs. When you're in the spot the Red Sox are, I want Cora getting pissed. Like, I don't care that Duran is a younger kid and, you know, hasn't played a full major league season. Like, your team is falling further and further out of a playoff spot, which, again, according to our brilliant GM, that was their goal was to get us into the playoffs, right? So you're falling further and further away from that by losing to bad teams because of stupid baseball, because of errors in the outfield, because you can't catch a fly ball. I want Cora pulling him aside and, you know, not necessarily screaming at him, but at least telling him like, Hey, get your act together or you're done. I'm going to pull you from the lineup, not sitting there consoling him, rubbing his back. Oh, it's okay. It, it's okay that we still suck and that we're not going to make the playoffs this year. It's all right. No, like that kind of stuff. And and I saw it all today. Oh, that's why Alex Gore is a great manager. And, You know, oh, I love this team and I love Alex Cora. Okay, fine. But when your team is struggling and he's babying a kid who is acting like a baby himself out in the outfield, no. That's not what I want to see. Get in his face, let him know that it's not okay, and let's turn this thing around. Because, look, for as much as we crap on John Farrell, John Farrell would not have been sitting there rubbing Durant's back, consoling him. He would have been pissed. And he probably would have pulled him from the lineup, like you said. So I'd like to see a little bit more of that from the manager, not so much the coddling stuff.
1: I keep using this as an example. I, I probably won't much longer because I hate to be repetitive, but there, there was a play last year where Javi Baez, when he was still with the Cubs, he didn't, he didn't run hard to first. And as soon as that happened... Dave Roberts, who I love and quite frankly wouldn't mind seeing manage at Fenway. Dave Roberts pulled him from the game immediately. Says you're benched. And that was it. Go ahead, Charlie. When you're talking about Javi Baez, uh, which which manager? Uh, I, I, I might have said Dave Roberts. I meant David Dave Ross. Ross. Yeah, there you go. David okay, Ross. Yeah, yeah. Cubs manager, David Ross. I'm sorry. And I would much rather have him over Dave Roberts, <laughs> just for the record. But um, but yeah, go ahead again. Uh, as far as uh, David Ross, do you guys remember the
2: speculation of Ross coming over, Papa Rossi coming over to Boston and being the manager here, and how the response of the team would handle him being the manager, or the respect difference between him being the manager and Alex Cora eventually coming back after taking a one-year vacation? from being the manager. Cause I remember I wasn't the only one that said, I don't want Alex core back based on what had happened in the past. I wanted to get a fresh set of, you know, a, a fresh coaching mind in here just to see what would have happened because David Ross, hundred percent would have pulled out Jaron Duran. Jason already said it, uh, Farrell gone. I don't think any manager in their right mind would have left them in. And that was the one of the first times I have seen Alex Cora look soft. And that is not a reassuring feeling, quality to see or exhibit when you are the manager for the Boston Red Sox. You are two games under 500 You have a team that halfway doesn't even belong to be here, and yet you're rubbing backs. You know, if you're giving back massages, I could use one. I'm having a rough day. So if you want to come over to, to you know Rhode Island, I'll take a back rub. I had a rough one, too. What are you doing? Like, why aren't you saying, dude, we need to figure this out. We need to get better. I know there must have been at least one conversation behind closed doors where he was like, you cannot say what you just said to the media ever again. They will spit you up, chew you out, just let you know that's not going to fly here. And Jason was one of the first people said say that you, you cannot have I believe the, the term was cavalier attitude in Boston like that. It will not fly here. It is not flying now. It didn't fly then. And if you're trying to be taken seriously, this behavior, this ain't it. You got you to gotta change it up. And if Duran ever does anything like that again, you just have to mid-inning pull him out, send a message. Because right now, he thinks he's getting chances. That's like punishing – you can't punish a child – five, ten days later after they did something wrong. You can't, you know, spank a dog's behind if they did something wrong the day after they, they did something. They don't understand what's going on. It's like, wait, what? Why am I getting smacked? This doesn't make any sense. So there's a lot of behavioral issues that need to change because this team is, for some fans, I don't blame them for saying this, they feel it's unbearable to watch the Red Sox. They're watching and going into games knowing that they're going to lose. We should not have lost three against Kansas city in this series.
1: I remember John lackey being on the mound and a couple of, I don't know if they were actual errors, but there was a couple of bad uh, defensive plays. And one of them involved Daniel Nava who everybody loves, you know, and, Nava botched something and Lackey, the camera was just right on Lackey's face. And you can see Lackey mouth the words, catch the bleeping ball. (laughs) And I miss that. I miss that generation. I just, I don't think we have that anymore. And we're kind of getting off track here, but I, I have to point it out. Alex Cora has even made Chris Sale soft as hell. I remember you go back to 2017. That was the last John Farrell year. Chris Sale, the only time in his career he exceeded 300 strikeouts. He had 308. And as the season was winding down and that was an important milestone, you'd see Sale walk into the dugout in the sixth and seventh innings and Farrell kind of trying to take his temperature. And Chris Sale wouldn't even look at him would just completely snub him, walk down in the dugout, do whatever his normal routine is in between innings, and Farrell wouldn't mess with him. John Farrell would not mess with Chris Sale, and then Sale would be on the mound uh, the the next inning. And that's not the Chris Sale you see anymore. And I I think the Alex Cora era has made him soft. And uh, so I just... I'm not I'm not gonna be putting up fire cora hashtags. I think at a minimum he's coming back next year. But I don't even think Hein Bloom's necessarily gonna be a tough GM unless he's you know on the hot seat. But all right, let's get into some pitching matchups. It's uh, we're gonna cover all three, although we don't have a pitcher for Baltimore on Thursday. Or does Charlie have a pitcher?
2: Yeah. Okay. So it looks like it's gonna be it looks like it's gonna be uh, Voth when when we get to it. So Austin Voth, who's a former Washington National standout who just couldn't get it done there, we'll be facing Winkowski. Okay. Uh, that's an actual nice matchup. I'm happy about that one when we get to it. But we'll start off with Atlanta.
1: Yeah. So uh, a battle of the old guys on Tuesday night. So Monday is an off uh, day. Uh, This series is also at Fenway, including the Baltimore game. So that's just, we're going to open up against Baltimore. I'm guessing that's why we have a weird game. They had to make up the first six or seven games that we missed because of the lockout. So that's why we're getting a goofy uh, one game series. We had a five game series against them uh, in late June, I think. So that never seen that before either. So now we're getting the, the other extreme, but anyway, Tuesday night at Fenway Park, Charlie Morton, who turns 39 in November, will face Rich Hill. Uh, Morton right now showing a 4.09 ERA. Doesn't seem to be having the greatest year, but um, hasn't looked too bad in his last three games. He had a six and two-thirds inning scoreless outing in his last appearance against Philly. Walked one, struck out eight. His start before that also happened to be against Philly. Not so great. Uh, Five innings pitched, gave up six hits. Four earned runs, struck out five. So, But he did, again, bounce back good uh, in his start after. And then he pitched against the Angels. uh, Six innings pitched, also scoreless. So pitching pretty well as of late. Not someone I'm thinking i really want to mess with uh with the way the red sox lineup is but uh jason how do you see that one
0: yeah i'm gonna take atlanta uh in that one and charlie morton is the guy who at times has given the red sox trouble they've hit him a couple of times as well back when he was with tampa they were able to get to him but morton's still pitching pretty well and rich hill is not his last outing was not very good Um, that Atlanta lineup is playing pretty well. My guy, Austin Riley, my NL MVP pick is absolutely killing it right now. I could see him taking Rich Hill deep. So, and I just, I don't have any faith in this Red Sox lineup. I I just, they they seem lifeless for the most part. So I'm going Atlanta. I just think Morton's going to shut them down.
2: Make it two. Um, I really wanted to say split here, but Atlanta, they are fighting right now. They are starting to get everyone back, and Morton is a starter that can actually go the distance. Unlike our guys, we don't have that kind of guy right now in Rich Hill, as sad as that may be. Rich Hill has gotten tagged a couple of times and hasn't even given five innings in the last... It hasn't happened since June And granted, you know, it's August 7th, first week of August, but five weeks, we haven't seen six innings out of him. Uh, And he's also coming back from injury, whereas Morton has been healthy. He's been getting the job done. Has a really high probability of getting a quality start. You have to go with the team that's got the better pitching right now, and that just happens to be Atlanta. So Atlanta as well, game one.
1: Don't have a ton to add. Morton's a righty that kind of plays into the favor of our lineup. You don't have to worry about Hosmer or Devers or any of our lefties, really. Um, but he is facing Rich Hill. So unless this is Rich Hill's last year, I think. Didn't he announce that this would be his last year? Or am I mistaken on that? I I don't remember him saying it, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me. I yeah. think it, it is. So. And even if it's not, I mean, you're probably milking the last of what he has uh, left. So (laughs) hopefully there's a little bit more, you know, milk in there to uh, get us through another start. Looks like Waka is going to require one more rehab start. Could potentially pitch in the Yankees series uh, a week from today. So... They'll have a a tough decision to make on Rich Hill, but all of us taking uh, the Braves in Game 1. Game 2, Kyle Wright versus Nick Pavetta. Wright is having a pretty good season, although coming off of one of his worst starts, I would think. Six innings pitched against the Mets, gave up seven hits on six earned runs, only struck out four. Start before that against the Diamondbacks, uh, a much better outing. Six and two-thirds innings, gave up five hits, two earned runs, struck out five. And then uh, he also pitched in the Angel Series three starts ago. Six innings pitched, uh, two earned runs, and eight strikeouts. So, yeah. Um, looks like it could be another tough matchup. Is he a lefty or a righty? Do we know this? He's a righty. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Jason.
0: I'm actually going to take the Red Sox in this one. Um, I know. I, I'm surprised, too. But the the Red Sox have faced, have faced Kyle Wright twice. They've actually smacked him around a bit. He's got an ERA close to five against them. So um, they've seen him twice. They know what's coming. Nick Pavetta, I feel like pitches pretty well against national league teams since coming over. Um, so I, I give him a little bit of of an edge there and Kyle Wright. Yeah. He's coming off a bad outing. The Mets smacked him around a couple of days ago. So I, I just, I think he's had kind of an up and down season. I could see the Red Sox jumping on him early again, assuming that they're awake and they decide to actually play that day. Um, but, yeah, I, I think they could jump on him, and I think Pavetta can hold it down to a point where it might be close, but they could sneak out a win. So I'll take the Red Sox for that one.
2: I have been being backpacked. I've been backpacked all night by, by Jason until this moment right now. It is not going to happen. Red Sox are losing the first two games, unfortunately, against Atlanta, and this is why. Kyle Wright is an elite star pitcher who we know we're going to see two runs allowed, six hits, five hits, six plus innings, six plus strikeouts. I'm guessing calling it now six and a third, two runs, five hits, two walks, seven strikeouts, two walks, seven strikeouts, two runs and five hits and six and a third. I'm calling it right now. He's going to get the win only once this season has Kyle Wright, lost in back-to-back appearances. Kyle Wright actually at one point had six straight wins by decision, uh, excuse me, in seven games because in one game he got the no decision, um, didn't pitch enough to get it. This guy, since June 1st, has not lost twice in a month. He went 5-1 and one in June, 4-0 and oh in July, didn't lose. His team didn't lose when he pitched in July. And so far, he's lost once in August. I just don't know how you can go against someone who's doing that. That's insane. So, yeah, you add all of Atlanta's offense, too, and players that are starting to to really start to come back now, yeah, it's going to go Atlanta game two.
1: I'm also going to take the Atlanta Braves in game two. Um Nick Pavetta over the course of his career has a four point eight four ERA against the Atlanta Braves last season in 2021. He did make one start against them. Wasn't super great, wasn't terrible either. Six innings pitched, seven hits, four earned runs. And I think that was right around when he was pitching well. And although he is pitching better as of late than he was in late June and throughout most of July, I'm not sure he's quite back to where he was earlier in the year. So um, I I think the Red Sox best hope here to get one out of the two, or if if we're really lucky, two out of the two. I think they're going to have to feel a little bit of home energy here Maybe maybe the home crowd amps him up. It'll be Tommy Pham's first game at Fenway as a Red Sox player, same as Eric Hosmer. Hopefully there there could be a little bit of energy there, and, and maybe we do come away with a win. Rich Hill as well, we neglected to say, um, had terrible home numbers at Fenway Park this year. Dude's just gotten completely blasted. So... Um, so yeah, hopefully, hopefully something unforeseen will, will happen there. Or, or maybe Jason nails it in game two. (laughs) That's, that's what we got to hope. Charlie, go ahead with, uh, game three with, uh, we're again, we're combining that one game, uh, with Baltimore in here.
2: Yeah. So this is going to be, uh, on Thursday night, Baltimore is going to be putting up Austin Foth against Josh Winkowski. Voth, uh, as I mentioned earlier, was a pitcher that was acquired by the Orioles from the Washington Nationals who just never was able to figure it out. Has been converted to a full-time starter. Hasn't done too badly in his last three starts. I still take the Red Sox with Josh Winkowski over Austin Voth. Two reasons. One, I don't want to say the Red Sox going to lose three in a row again because I was wrong the last time I did that. Uh, Second... I think that the Red Sox offense while pedestrian at times still has the potential and the capability of surpassing that Baltimore product has, they just lost Trey Mancini. Um, It sucks to see Trey Mancini hitting bombs in Houston. He's had three major hits, all of them home runs for Houston, including a grand slam, not fun to watch, not fun to see happen, but man, Oh man, would it have been nice to see maybe a shorter left field wall in Baltimore, with him still playing there, unfortunately, it's just not going to happen. I'm going to take the Red Sox in Game asterisk three of this series, so we'll win one of three.
1: Jason,
0: yeah, I'm going opposite of you again, Charlie. Um, I'm taking taking Baltimore in this one because I'm just not a Josh Minkowski guy. I I don't care how well he pitched against Kansas City. Congrats. You, you pitched well against a bad Kansas City lineup. Whoop-de-doo. Honestly, I think Baltimore has a better lineup than Kansas City does, even without Trey Mancini. They still got Cedric Mullins. They still have Ryan Mountcastle. They still have Adley Rushman. And that Baltimore team, they've got a little bit of juice right now because they're still in a better card position than the Red Sox are. And even though they kind of sold at the deadline, like they've kind of got that new life breathed into them a little bit where they recognize that, Hey, this is our turnaround. And their GM came out the other day and said, yeah, we're going to spend in the off season. It's, it's all systems go at this point. So that's a team that has, you know, Oh, I don't know a direction, something to believe in, unlike your team. So I'm going to take Baltimore. I just, I just, again, I'm not a Winkowski guy. I, I've never have been. I think Austin Voss is a pretty good pitcher, and I think their lineup is is kind of firing right now. So, I and this is a weird sort of one-game thing. I don't know how the Red Sox will respond to that because they're such mental midgets to begin with. So, I'm going to take Baltimore.
1: <laughs> um. I don't know who to take in that game. To be honest, uh, I'll go with the Red Sox. I think Winkowski will grind it out, it's still puzzling to me why the Orioles got rid of Mancini who I think did hit the Red Sox pretty well. I don't know what they, I don't think they got back anything crazy in that Astros package. Certainly nothing to the level of what the Red Sox got. But they are dangerous. You still got Cedric Mullins. You still got Ryan Mountcastle. Um, There's a couple more. Adley Rushman, the the catcher, has turned it around and had a pretty good last 20, 30 days. So it's not a a start I'm comfortable with, but I I think the the Red Sox could potentially have an easier time against Baltimore than uh, against the Braves. So put me down for for the Red Sox in that one game set. We will wrap it on that. We'll be back tomorrow with Totally Legit or Calling the Cops. Everybody have a good Monday. Take care.